Well, good morning. Good morning. Add my welcome to the one that's already been given. Good morning to 1115, the chapel in Richmond, and good morning to you here in Midlothian. Good morning in the lobby. We're in a series called Christmas Can Still Change the World, but before we dive in that, I always look at, like to look in the camera and say good morning to everybody, and, and we had an incredible uh, weekend um, this last week celebrating all that God's doing in the jail. And so I'm going to look in the camera and say, it was fun to hear some stories. And I, I everybody know these little chapel bumper stickers. How many have got one on your car? Come on. If you don't, I, I don't know, you should. And uh, it, it helps you evade radar. It just, it's in the technology. And uh, it's not true. But um, uh, I got a picture this morning from, from Jay. I just give him a shout out. This is my favorite ever. So you see the stickers wherever. And uh, he shared how he had seen them but, and, and his whole story. I, I won't repeat it. But I got my favorite ever picture sent to me this morning on my phone. Of um, There's a little slat in his jail cell about this wide and this of a window. And I just got a picture of his jail cell and had the chapel sticker. Come on, in the, in the jail cell this morning. So, so, I don't know. I think when we put these out, we never dreamed that's where they'd be. But how many know that's exactly where they should be? And, uh, and so we love you guys. We always say it. Men and women in Chesterfield County Jail and Harp, you're not a project to us. You're people. So come on. Like we've never done it before. Let's welcome everybody in Chesterfield County Jail, Virginia Department of Corrections. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, all that you do. We had an incredible weekend with groups and Freedom Conference and everything that's happening in the life of our church. Our first ever Freedom Small Groups for students. Our first ever Freedom Small Groups for Try Home. I mean, uh, Try Hope. I mean, the whole whole thing has been really incredible. And uh, so good to have you here today. Let me just remind you one quick thing before we dive into the message, because we're just two weekends away from uh, Christmas Eve services at the chapel. If you've never been to Christmas at the chapel, it's great. There's I mean, we do. I think our team does an incredible job with the music. I think this is going to be the best music we've ever done before. They designed something really funny, some video elements there. I mean, it's an incredible experience. There's fake snow. I preach shorter. I mean, everything that you want is in the service. And uh, and we, we have really prayed about making as many experiences as we can for you to invite everyone that you know. And so they'll start on Thursday nights at 7 and Friday at 7. Then a bunch of several on Saturday, several on Sunday. Four different locations will have them. And, and I don't even want to tell you how many services, a lot. And, uh, and somebody said, is it a lot? Just so you know, it's not a lot on me. It's a lot on the musicians. I just show up and say hi, you know. And, uh, uh, but so thankful for them. But we want to make us re- really, I know there's no more strategic time to invite somebody. So we have these little Christmas service cards. I mean, nobody's mad at Christmas, you know. And I'm telling you, I think we've seen more people reached in Christmas than even Easter. And so you'd be amazed at how many people would come with an invitation. And I promise we'll do our best to present the gospel clearly and to have music and everything that will be excellently done to create an atmosphere for people to connect with God. So you can invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite the people you love, invite the people you don't love. And, uh, and we'll be together. So just want to remind you that. Well, here's my goal over the next couple minutes in the message today to fix all of your family dysfunction, Christmas dysfunction in one sermon. Okay. Is that okay? How many would admit that around the holidays, it's both an incredible time to celebrate, but we also have an opportunity to celebrate with people we love and celebrate with people we have to, you know what I'm talking about? 
And so family can be complicated. Everybody has an odd person or two in their family. I always say this, but it's true. If you don't have anyone odd that comes to your mind in your family, then I hate to report to you, you are the odd person in your family. I mean, it's just true. And so I thought I would start with a little Christmas survey here today together as we get started. Where are the people that you, um, you love Thanksgiving so much you would, never, you would never set up your tree until after Thanksgiving? Come on, where are the purists, come on, who honor Thanksgiving? Come on, raise your hand. I'm filled with self-righteousness. Just raise your hand, okay? Uh, <laughs> Um, where are the people that you love Christmas so much you're okay putting it ahead of Thanksgiving? Come on, amen. I read a study that people who listen to Christmas music earlier in the fall live longer. So Katie and I disagree on this. Unfortunately, I have the mic, and so I get to say my thing. All right, this one I don't quite understand, but where are my elf in the sh- on the shelf people? Come on, elf on the shelf. and. Uh, Elf on the shelf. I mean, this is the experience. If you don't know this, it's a little doll, and you move him. He's supposed to move in the night on his own, and that is supposed to be a exciting thing for kids. That a doll comes to life at night and moves around your house is supposed to be. I, I don't. This is like the normal picture of Elf on the shelf. This is how I see him. Come on, just somebody. Like just on the knife block, ready to kill you. And to me, it's just another, it's the holiday version of Chucky, if you want to know my perspective. And so, uh, Elf on the Shelf, that's fine. But it's just creeped out. I mean, his smile, I don't know. I feel like he's going to, you know. Uh, and then I don't understand this one. But do you, know, do you know I did not know what this meant until after the last service? And how many of you do this pickle on the Christmas tree? And so I didn't realize you have the little kids find where it is and they get a present. Somebody told me that the other, or before this service. So if that's not true, let me know. I was like, are you serious? And uh, so um, I think it's kind of a fun idea. But we all have our different uh, Christmas traditions. And you think of Christmas and you think of family and you think of being together. And I remember growing up, one of my Christmas traditions was my whole family, extended family. We'd all go to Christmas Eve service together. I mean, there'd probably be aunts and uncles, grandma, grandpa, everybody, probably 30 of us together. And we'd occupy like three rows of church pews. And But before Christmas Eve service, we'd have dinner at my grandmother's house. And I remember one year she burned the rolls and my dad was complaining that the rolls were burnt. And so she waited till the middle of candlelight Christmas Eve service to throw a roll in church, a pew ahead and hit my dad right in the head. And then, and thus started a Samuel Christmas family tradition to throw rolls at each other in the house of God. And I've been telling this story all day and I'm like, somebody's going to throw something at me on Christmas Eve. Don't do that. God will judge you. And, uh, but you know, we all have different traditions as a family and, and, when you think of family, you think of lineage, you think of heritage. And this is the weekend of the year that I'm supposed to stand up as a pastor and preach on the wise men and the angels in the sky and the shepherds and, 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 and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, but my goal today is to, is to mess up your Christmas nativity scene a little bit. 
by giving you a more accurate biblical view of Christmas. So I'm going to do a little different. And that is I'm going to jump right in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 to 7. Uh, right as the New Testament begins, you have the Old Testament and then the New Testament. There's actually a 400 year gap when you, when you have a Bible with that little page called the New Testament. Think of almost like that page as 400 years of silence. And, and when God breaks the silence of the Old Testament to, to start speaking again on the New Testament, it doesn't start that exciting. It starts with, this is the genealogy. Now, how many would admit sometimes you've skipped over genealogies reading the Bible, right? Oh, no, you memorized them all. Okay. But like, like here's, here's what's going to happen. They're going to describe how Jesus uh, came about and... And the reason that the author is doing this is to remind us that, catch this, the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3 that he would send a savior to rescue his people from his sins may have taken a couple thousand years. But what he's showing, he's going to show the lineage, the genealogy, that even though God's promise may have felt like it, like it, like it lagged or it took some time, God fulfilled his promise. Hey, how many know this weekend God always fulfills his promise? He just does. Maybe a long time coming. Maybe, maybe he doesn't take the shortcut we want him to, and it wanders through the wilderness. But no, he's going he's gonna to deliver in the way he promises. And, and so they're giving the, this is, this is as if Jesus is, I want you to picture Jesus sitting down and searching Ancestry.com. This is what this is, okay? And this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Amen. Let's go home. No. What I want to show you in this story is something really amazing. People who were trying to claim a throne in the ancient world would sometimes give a list of their father of father of mother of their genealogy as trying to prove their rightful that they were rightful heirs to a throne. And when you would be listing the, 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 the royal lineage you came from, you would try your best to emphasize the most you know, important people in your lineage. And you might even drop off a few people that you don't think helped your case. But when Jesus lists his lineage, he lists all the ups and the downs, the winners and the losers. In fact, this list is going to kind of mess us up. And here's what it's trying to teach us. Just write this down, that Jesus has come to the imperfect and he's come to give acceptance. How many are grateful for that? Any imperfect people in the room? Like any, any imperfect people in the room? <laughs> I mean, the chapel, just so you know this, there are no perfect people allowed. And I know you. You are not perfect. In fact, let me show you just, let me just walk through just a few of the names that I could camp out in a ton of them. But Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Let me tell you who Rahab was. In chapter two of the book of Joshua, we're introduced to a woman named Rahab, and she is a prostitute, okay? So as Jesus is describing his family history, he says, in my family history was a woman who was a 
was a prostitute. He goes on to list another woman who was named Tamar. I don't have time to describe this kind of sordid story. She left her husband for her father-in-law. So it's kind of, come on, that's messed up. You know what I'm talking about? It's like Days of Our Lives meets Netflix special. I mean, this is like, so, so we got prostitution, we got a scandal. Okay, let's move on, Pastor, to somebody else. Well, King David, he was the father of Solomon. You know who Solomon was? Yeah, he was the guy who asked for wisdom, correct. But he also had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 700 wives is 699 wives. Too many. You're here and you're a youth and you say, what is a concubine? You should ask your mom on the way home from church today what a concubine is. <laughs> okay, and uh, it's, it's not a Christmas thing, okay? So Solomon had some issues. Come on, somebody. Okay, you say, move on. Okay, well, King David was, he's, his, his, you know, Solomon, but, but his mother had been Uriah's wife. Well, I thought it's David's wife. Well, no, because David's wife, Bathsheba, wasn't really his wife at first. It was another guy's wife. What do you mean, King David? Yeah, he, he saw, all right, I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas, but in Jesus' family is a king who saw a woman bathing, took her, slept with her. She got pregnant. He couldn't figure out how to, how to fix the situation, so he took that man. And sent him to the front line of battle, caused the lines to recoil so that he would be, Uriah would be killed in battle so that he could marry his wife. So you got, you got king, uh, you, you, you just got a lot of mess. You got adultery and you got murder. Okay, so let me give you a little, Jesus types in ancestry.com, tell me where I came from, and here's what he gets. He gets prostitution, scandal, adultery, and murder. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Am I messing up your nativity scene? Okay. Just write this down. Everyone write this down because I think this is the key of the heart of what I'm trying to get. Why is this in the story of Jesus? Because where he came from tells us who he came for. Because his story is imperfect and filled with people who came up short. And that is in the royal line of King Jesus. Because he has not come to save perfect people. He did not come in a castle with a whole list of perfect people behind him. He came with some people that had some stuff and some challenges and some difficulties. But because he came from some people that had some problems gives us a clue into what, who, not just where he came from, but who he came for. He came for some people with broken past that he might be a savior to save his people from their sins. Anybody grateful this weekend that Jesus is a coming savior, right? That's what he came to do. He came to save his people from their sins. And it's a picture of his grace and a picture of his forgiveness and a picture of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And it's a picture that those of us who are far away might be brought near. When Jesus lists his story, it's an imperfect story. When Jesus lists his lineage, it's people with a whole list of mess ups. A whole list of challenges that he might prove that he's come to those who are, who are sinful to give them new life. Here's the second thing he came. He came to help people who feel left out find a, a place of belonging. Have you ever been left out? You ever been not invited to the party? You ever been not picked for the team? You ever been ever not known where your place is? And Jesus came for people who feel felt left out. In fact, in the Bible, it teaches us that Jesus was, was born in a place called Bethlehem and we get this idea about Christmas as it's like this beautiful, I mean, you read this storybook Bible and Mary's just, just quietly riding on the back of a donkey and she's happy. 
She's nine months pregnant, but she's happy to be riding a donkey. To where? Vacation? No. To a place to pay taxes. Come on, somebody. How many know Christmas was a miserable day for them? You know, they're paying taxes, traveling away, and they're born. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and the prophet tells us that Bethlehem is the runt of the litter. It's a, it's out of Bethlehem, this little town will come the leader who will be the shepherd ruler of Israel. Let me tell you what Bethlehem was. It was not the place you wanted to go to vacation. Bethlehem was not the place you wanted to you wanted to go. It was a one Walmart town. How many know what I'm talking about? In fact, you ever been to a town that doesn't even have a full Walmart? They have like the half Walmart. How many know what I'm talking about? This side is sophisticated. Okay, over here. You're like, Walmart? I've never been there. Whatever. And here, here's the point. Jesus is not born in some palace. He's born in a, in probably in a rock, in, in, in a place where their animals are being fed. And Jesus is, so he's born in an out of way town. He's born in a place that's not very sophisticated and that's not very, very uh, serene. And we have this picture of, I'm going to show you this. This is a gift I got for Christmas. You want to see it? It's a nativity scene. Okay, you don't. It's okay. Can you hear it through the microphone or no? I got to tell you, it's got, it's got uh, Mary, Joseph. We got three camels, two kneeling, one standing there. We got the wise men with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We got a dad sheep and a baby sheep, a mama sheep and another baby sheep. We got the three wise men here. We got three shepherds with staffs. We got every, we got the angel. Come on. Everyone say, oh. So this is our nice view of Christmas, right? Pastor, don't mess up my view of Christmas. Well, I'm trying to mess it up right now. It, I'm going to close it so it don't confuse you. Confuse me. We have this polished, perfect view of this Christmas. But it's really not that way. Jesus has come in an out-of-the-town place. Let's see how beautiful this wood box is. Nope. He's born in a small town, paying taxes, fleeing for his life because Herod's trying to kill uh, babies. To Mary, who got pregnant before she and Joseph were married, and she told everyone it was of the Holy Spirit. How do you think that went over? When she told mom and dad, I'm pregnant, it's of the Holy Spirit. Scandal, chaos, uncertainty, a family lineage of brokenness. And in the middle of all that place came a baby. Here's why I want you to catch this. Because he has come not to be born as human wisdom would have it in some palatial mansion with all the, 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 the accoutrements that money, success, and royal lineage of a monarchy could buy. He has come to be born in the middle of human brokenness. And I'm thankful for that. So that he can take people who feel left out and dejected and rejected and broken and sinful and with a past. And he could save us from our sins. Aren't you glad for that? That's what he's come to do. He's come to do that. Thank you, Bridget, for that. And that's what he's come. He's come to help those who feel far away to, to also find a place of acceptance. Let me give you this third thing right here, and that is he's come to help people who have labels on them feel, feel redemption in their life and, and have a place of redemption. I, I have a friend of mine that I've been friends with since he and I were 13, and uh, 
He's one of my longtime friends. In fact, this past week, Katie and I had a chance to, to meet um, my friend, my long-term friend, and his brand new wife. He just got married a couple months ago, and I've never met her in person. And so we had dinner the other night with her, and I started telling old stories about my friend and I as teenagers that I thought he had told her. And some of them are a little weird, but uh, he and I used to do this thing. I know this is crazy. Uh, he would eat insects for money. And at the park, I would, I would get everyone to give a dollar. So like, I'll tell you what happened one day at the park. He had a slug and I went and got like 30 guys. And I was like, if you all give a dollar, Dean will eat the slug. And so once I got 30 or $40, I said, this is good. Then he ate it and then we split the money, you know. In fact, after that, he's like, why do we split the money? I ate the slug. And I was like, because I got the money. Come on, somebody. I've been taking offerings since I was 13, everybody. You know? <laughs> and so I'm telling, I'm telling this story because I thought he must have told his wife that. And he, she's just looking at me like he did that. And he's looking at me like, why would you tell her that? And so I've got a couple other ones that are worse than that, that I just said, you know what, bro? I'm going to cover you right now. Put it in my pocket. He's a great, pretty normal guy. I mean, he's the weirdest guy. You know what I mean? And he's like, don't put that label from when I'm 13 and we did crazy things together on me. Aren't you? I mean, probably all of us have, have something in our life that we did that we wish wasn't the present label of who we are, right? And let me just show you this, because in the list of names was somebody named Rahab. And in Joshua chapter 2, her label was of a, that of a prostitute. That was her label in the Old Testament. But when in Matthew 1, when they list her new label, Rahab is no longer being listed as a prostitute. She's the great, great Grammy of Jesus Christ. She's the Nana, the Gigi, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Come on, she's just got baby G. Come on. Aren't you glad that God can change the labels of our past and give us a different future, right? In Joshua 2, what was the label of her past is not the way Matthew 1 lists her. She, it, basically, he's saying this is the great great grandmother of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that one woman who had a past placed her faith in Jesus and Jesus swept her into his incredible redemptive plan to save his people from their sins. Here's why, because I think this is so true. God changes labels and he rewrites stories. God changes labels and he rewrites stories. And he says, this is what you were. That's not who you are anymore. This is who you are in my son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what our whole, whole freedom curriculum of groups is all about. It's just helping people realize we are not what we've done. We are who God says we are. We're not, who we do, we're, not, we're not what we've done. We're not where we were. We're not who we used to be, but we're who God says we are. Because I think one of the dangers is we see ourselves as our past and we think a chapter means my whole book. And maybe you're here today and you're new to church and you're saying, are you kidding me? Are you literally saying, Pastor, that I could have done this, but that doesn't have to be the label of my whole life? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying the actual ancestry of Jesus Christ is people who did some things, but were swept into God's grand story. And he took the label of pain off of them and put the label of blessing and future and destiny and possibility on them. And he still does the same for us. I mean, that's just what he does. 
And, and that's what Christmas is all about. It's come for us who've got a label, got a story, got some issues, and it, and it, and it sweeps us into his new kingdom, changes our labels, rewrites our stories, redeems our past, restores us into community with God. And that is all for those of us who, with all our brokenness and all of our issues, come on. We don't have issues, everybody. Come on, we have issues. Come on, before we look at one more point, turn to the person next to you. Don't tell them they have issues. Why don't you tell them you have issues? Come on, tell them that in the lobby. Come on, tell them that in Mosley, Richmond. You have issues. Yeah. So here's the last thing he has uh, come to do. He's come to take the pain of our life and declare that it has purpose. I was reading through the list of names in Matthew 1. One to seven. You can go back and read them later in your Bible. And so many of them had issues and challenges and delays and pain and difficulty. I was reading Abraham's life. Abraham and Sarah were told they'd be a father of many nations. And yet when they're 100 years old and 90 years old, they've had zero kids. How many know you're past the, the, the sweet spot of having kids when you're 100? Come on. Like it's like for real, you know, like and and. And yet God, in fact, their first son, Isaac, literally means laughter. And you're like, that must be spiritual. No, it's because when God told them they'd have a baby, Sarah was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, it doesn't work that way. And, uh, and yet God swept the pain, the delay into his purpose. And I was reading through all the names and I could go through them one by one. But just to tell you, the whole genealogy of Jesus coming is filled with delays and filled with detours and filled with things taking too long and ha happening too difficultly. And, we, and, and how many know sometimes things don't happen as quick as we want them to? Where are the imp impatient people in the room? Come on, impatient people. Okay, where are the patient people, I guess? <laughs> uh, and yet God's detours are not God's denials. God's delays do not mean that he's not going to work it out. And even though there's a winding road and a circumstance that can be delayed, he has a way of accomplishing his purpose. And that's what I see in all the names. In fact, it got me thinking about, do you know sequoias can be up to 3,000 years old? They can be over 300 feet tall. They're, they're this impressive tree. And I was reading some of them are 3,000 years old. And I thought, how do they live through wildfires? And yet many of them, because the bark of a sequoia tree is a spongy almost a uh, fire retardant substance that it can literally repel fire. It can, an actual sequoia can live through a wildfire. In fact, what's interesting, you and I would look at them and think, well, a wildfire is going to wipe them out. But actually, um, they tell us, geologists tell us something different that the small seeds of a sequoia that, that produce new trees are actually only released through fire. So catch this, what we think a fire would wipe them all out is actually what takes the seeds and breaks them open and produces life for new trees. And I, I just can't help but wonder, I can't help but wonder if sometimes when fire and heat and challenges hit our life, if what we think is going to destroy us is actually going to serve to develop us. And instead of being frustrated and running away from the heat, we should say, God, I'm going to sit right in the middle of this heat until you accomplish your purpose. Because what I actually thought might burn me up might just be what's going to release potential on the inside of me. And that's what I see in the story of, of these uh, 
of these people. In fact, in fact, I know that this family wouldn't mind if I shared this after the 8 a.m. service, an amazing family in our church. It was one of the hard funerals of our church. They lost their 15-year-old uh, son, Alex, four years ago. Remember, I'll never forget the funeral, never forget the loss. And, and as she was walking out, she said, I want to show you this text. And I said, okay. She said, it's been four years since Alex passed away, but this is a text from, so, so his organs were used to save three people's lives. And she said, this is a text from a woman who has his liver. And every year when she got the, when, at the anniversary of, of her receiving this liver, she sends me a text. And I start reading the text from this woman that says, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I want you to know I'm alive and doing well. And so thankful for your family's gift to me. And she holds this phone up to me and she literally says, you know what? I don't understand it all, but there was purpose in the pain. There are three people alive. Because, uh, because of Alex, uh, Alex Laws. I'll never forget another dad. In fact, he texted me after the 930 service in Mosley. His little boy, we did the funeral. And at the very end, we had an altar call for people to place their faith in him. And, and, and people, he, he texted me this literally an hour ago. He said, I'll never forget when some people placed their faith in Jesus at the funeral. It reminded me that even through the tragic loss of my little boy, God was working purpose through pain. Listen, hear me today. I'm not dismissing the pain. I'm not saying that magically makes it all go away. I'm not saying it still doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that mom holds up the cell phone and says, oh, I'm good with this now. I'm just simply saying, don't ever forget that God is still at work in the fire, releasing life. And the enemy says there's no good that could ever come out of bad. But I'm here to tell you there is no bad that for those who love Jesus that he isn't working good. Paul said, for I'm persuaded of this, that God works all things together for good. Romans 8, right? To those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. Notice it doesn't say all things are good. Come on, somebody. But it says he's working all things good, right? And I'm just trying to remind you of this today before we close. And that is that God's at work in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the fire, in the middle of things that we think are going to destroy us. He's developing some purpose and some plan and a, and a, and a way to grow our faith and a way to release life from the inside of us into the world around us. And the world's telling you nothing good can ever come out of that pain. I'm telling you, God works his best work through painful situations. Yeah. In fact, you know, today is step two of the growth track right after service. It's the way people get connected. And step two is all about purpose. And in fact, one of the things we say is that God uses your gifts, your talents. And one of the things we always say in growth track is God uses your pain. He uses your pain. How many know that's true? He uses your pain, doesn't he? Well, I wish he didn't always, but he uses your pain for his glory and purpose. We're talking to a guy a few weeks ago at our small group and he, he just had this big dental procedure done and he said, well, it hurt, it hurt a lot. And I said, well, why didn't you have Novocaine? And he said, I'm scared of Novocaine. And I said, you're not, I'm scared of no Novocaine. He said, no, I just want to feel all the pain. And how, how many know I don't? Come on, somebody like... I would like you to put me to sleep for pretty much everything. In fact, I have a dream one day of opening a business where all dental and medical things happen. They put you to sleep and they work on you from the top, from the bottom, everything, and they just wheel you out and you're good. You know what I mean? So, 
So I think we're built wanting to avoid pain, aren't we? Wanting to run away from it, wanting to run away from it. I'm just telling you what, what I learned from the story, the genealogy of Jesus, is that Jesus works in the detours and the delays and the frustrations and the hurts and the wounds and the things that knocked us down. He's working his plan and purpose. And though his, his way may wander, his purpose prevails. In fact, I might share a little bit of this on Christmas Eve. I'll give you a little preview, but... When Jesus was born, it was a unique time in human history. Three political things had happened. The Pax Romana, meaning universal peace, meaning you could travel for the first time in human history everywhere, and you had the peace of Rome. An infrastructure of roads were built. That's why they called them Romans roads. So there was peace and then roads to travel. And then a universal language that was implemented by the Romans in Greece. So when Jesus comes on the scene, the first time in human history, there's one language an infrastructure of roads and peace like a passport that you could travel because of Rome's conquering. And what the people of God didn't know is that what it looked like Jesus was delaying his coming. He was just waiting for the perfect time to show up on this earth for maximum impact to transform the world. I'm telling you today, you're waiting. You're, it's delaying. It's not going as quick as you want. It could just be that God isn't delaying. He's just waiting until it's the right time to do what he needs to do in your life. Don't grow weary and heavy laden. Don't, the Bible says we'll reap a harvest if we faint not. So I'm just telling you today, how many know God knows what time it is? Yeah. How many know God knows how to work it out? Yeah. How many know God is still perfect? How many know there's one phrase not in the Bible? Oops, come on. <laughs> and he's still got in charge of it all. Would you bow your heads with me all over this room in the lobby, in Richmond, in the jail? I'm going to just pray for us. And in a second, I'll turn the service over to campuses. But no one's looking around. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not certain I have a relationship with God. Or maybe you've wandered away from that relationship and today you need to come back home and you say, I need to recommit my life to Jesus. Nobody's looking around, but the truth is he loves you so much. God does. He sent his son to die that if you would turn away from yourself into him, you can have life. And so I'm going to pray for us today. If you're here today and you say, pastor, I'm not sure my life is right with God. Would you pray for me? I'd love to do that. I won't embarrass you. I promise. Nobody's looking around. You say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? You just lift your hand up quick and put it right back down. By doing it, you're saying, pray for me. Yes, yes. Are there others? Yep. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain. I'm right with God. You get my heart right with God. Yeah, I see that over there. Thank you. Anybody else in the lobby in Richmond? Just raise your hand up. Put it right back down and say, I need to give my life fully to God. Pray for me today, Pastor. I'm right where you're seated. You pray a prayer that goes like this. It's not magic. But if you mean it in your heart, God will hear it. It says, God, I know I've sinned and come up short. But I know you love me so much you sent your son. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you save me today? I repent of my sin. I place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. As the one who can take away my sin. And I invite you to be the Lord and the treasure of my life. Would you save me, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. A whole bunch of people took steps of faith. Can we just tell them we're proud of them today? Proud of them, so good. Merry Christmas, everybody at the chapel in Mosley, Richmond. I'm gonna turn the services back over to those campuses.